Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. I've been having trouble communicating like the weight of what it is I'm trying to say to you. Because in the six weeks that started last Sunday, these are probably the most important messages I've preached in 20 years to you. Because we're talking about um, repackaging, uh, adjusting the mission of our church. And if you remember what we talked about, the mission of our church was last week, it was displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. It comes to this question, why? Why would we want to display the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed? That brings us to our number one value, and it's this. It's a crowded heaven. We want heaven to be crowded. Now, I I don't really like crowds, to be honest with you. I know that's weird. You know, you get up and speak in front of a crowd every day, or every Sunday, but crowded isn't good unless you look around and the crowd is heaven, and it's filled with people whom God used you to get there. That's an exciting crowd. So why do we display the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed? It's so that people will find and follow Jesus so that heaven's crowded. And what that means is this, is that we have to prioritize those people who are beyond our walls, which means it's not us. It's not about us. It's about us being for people who are not yet here. That's what I'm trying to communicate. But here's my deepest concern. You drove up the hill today. My guess is this. You probably parked in pretty much the similar spot you always park in. And you walked in, you probably said hi to the people you typically say hi to. Here's the convicting part. You are probably sitting in a seat that's very close to where you always sit. Am I right? Now, if someone's new, you're like, I've never been here before. I'm like, I'm just saying, we're creatures of habit. And when you hear a message... My concern is that you're just going to jump in to be the creature of habit as you walk out. Maybe your habit is, hey, we go out to lunch and we talk about the message. But will your habits shift enough to embrace a new mission that says we're going to display the irresistibility of Jesus in a radical, risk-taking way so that lives are transformed? Are we actually going to do that? See, I think what we need sometimes is we need a new perspective We need to kind of shake ourselves up just a little bit. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Ready? Stand up. Yeah, you better start laughing right now. Stand up. And as long as you're mobile, like, you know whether you're mobile or not. Grab your stuff, by the way. Uh Uh-oh. I hear it. You see, here's why. Mm, This is so good right now. Because I hear the, oh, he's going to ask us to do something. Oh, he's going to make me not sit in the seat that I'm normally in. I pay a tithe for this seat, you know? Don't make me move, right? Listen, if you can't get people to move inside an auditorium, how are you ever going to get them on board a new mission, right? Mm, Yeah, I'm yelling because I'm excited. So here's what I want you to do. Move seats. And I don't mean one to the left, one to the right, one forward, one back. Sit in a different... Now, if you came with people today, 
then you can go with them, okay? Feel free to go with them. But you can't move one row. On the right, go to the left. You in the back, don't stay in the back. I got a seat for you down here up front. Nice. And for you online, you're like, what is happening? Hey, for you online, you move seats too. From the armchair to the couch or tell you what, get your slippers off. Come on down. Join us, all right? Oh, we're having fun now. Yeah. By the way, look around you. Say hi to some people. If like now there's some new people around you. I know. Hey, I've never seen you guys there before. That's great. That's great. So fun. It's like a whole new church. See, I'm serious about this. That we're such creatures of habit. That your habit of how you listen to a message Sometimes you just categorize it. It's just another message. It's just the same message I've heard before. But we're actually asking for a radical recommitment to displaying the irresistibility of Jesus to people. Now, you have people in your world and in your mind that you're like, I'm trying to display how great Jesus is to them. But if we're all really honest, when, I, when I've said, hey, let's engage in this new mission, what's your expectation? I've already invited them to church. I already told them about Jesus. Listen, they said no the first three times. But did you stop with them? Did the rest of your list of people that you interact with on a weekly basis, are you like, listen, it didn't work with those neighbors. Why would it work with those other ones? Here's my real question. Do you have the emotional energy and hope to optimistically say yes to this mission? Or are you pessimistic about it? Or are you like, you know what? I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. Is, is this just a rewording of the gospel and there's not really life and hope in it? Or does your hope rise week after week for these six weeks to go, I, I think it's not only possible, I think it's probable. That God is going to use you, not, not me, God is going to use you to display the irresistibility of Jesus to people. And their lives are going to be transformed. So this series that we're calling Church Reimagined, we've been in First Thessalonians. Uh, open up there real quick. I'm going to be in chapter 2. Uh, I invited you to do this this last week, to read chapter 1 every day. Now, a creature of habit, you probably don't read the same chapter every day for a whole week. Did you do it? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. I mean, and if you did, like every day, just focus on something new there. So here's my invitation. This week, I want you to read chapter two every day and let God show you something new in chapter two every single day. Because in chapter one, he's like, I I just want to write to you Thessalonians. I thank you that your lives have been changed. Your lives have been transformed. You met Jesus. You said yes to him and your lives are so different. But in chapter two, it starts with this verse one and Paul is reflecting on when when Silas, uh, when Luke, when Paul, when they all showed up to this city called Thessalonica for the very first time, he's all, I remember when we got there and I remember what it was like. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, this is what he writes. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. What's he saying? We came and God used us. So that when you learned about Jesus, your life was transformed. 
Our visit was not without results. And he says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. He, he's recalling that before they ever got to Thessalonica, they were in this town called Philippi. And he goes, remember that story? <laughs> wow, before we ever got to come and share the gospel with you, we were in that other town. And how does he say it? We previously suffered and we have been treated outrageously. I don't know of another place where Paul talks about his treatment being outrageous. And so because you're fantastic Bible students, you would naturally ask the question, what happened in Philippi? Like, what happened there? And because you're great Bible students, you know that that story is told in Acts chapter 16, which means that you're going to open your Bibles to Acts 16 right now, right? Why are you looking at me? Open your Bibles to Acts 16. We're going to take a look at the story. We want to know what happened in the town before they got to Thessalonica. And can I just let the cat out of the bag? This is why I'm sharing it with you. Because if you've been around this church for any length of time, and we say, hey, this is the new mission. This is the new value of Church on the Hill. The question is, what happened before that? Because there's been some things happening in our valley. I've been here for 20 years. I've been a part of this staff for 20 years. And there's been something that's been happening before this that I think resembles, parallels, What happened to Paul in Philippi? Y'all there? I'm going to label or categorize it this way. What happens when our experience falls short of our expectations? I'm going to walk you through Paul's story in this this city. I'm going to walk you through his highs. I'm going to walk you through the lows of his mission there. Here's how it all started. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they get to this place and It says we wanted to go north and Jesus wouldn't let us go north. We wanted to go east and the Holy Spirit shut us down from there. And then Paul gets this vision, Acts chapter 6, verse 9. Look at it. Acts chapter 16, verse 9. A man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul gets this very real vision. He he just sees this man. It doesn't say what he looks like. It just says that there's a man. He's begging him. We need you to come to Macedonia and come over and help us. Now, you know what happens when there's a clear mission from God? Like, oh, you need to go and do this. The energy and excitement goes up, right? Why? The expectation is high. Why would God call us over here if he's not about to do something great? Do you get it? And so in that moment, Paul, Timothy, Silas, they pack all their bags, they make their preparations, they gather some money, they, they, they get whatever it is that they need, and they set off on this journey. And if you look at verse 11, it says, from Troas, we put out to sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. Let me explain what that means. The journey was easy. 156 miles, they sailed on a boat in two days. Later on in Acts 20, he would talk about how it, when they went back, it took them five days to zigzag across that area and get back. What he's saying is, listen, we, God gave me this vision, this mission that we're supposed to go on. The winds were at our back and it was like God was blessing it because there was an ease to the journey. Come on, you've been there, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to take this next step. And if it's easy, it must be God's blessing. So what was his expectation? Here it is. Put this in your notes. The expectation is this. I, I think Paul says, I'm about to change a continent. You see, let me read it to you. Verse 12. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi. Well, what's Philippi? A Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Don't miss this. You're not going to know this unless you've looked at geography and you know where Philippi is. When they set foot in, in Philippi, they just set foot on the soil of Eastern Europe. Philippi is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. See, whatever happens in Philippi, it's going to spread throughout that whole region. And what is Philippi? What kind of colony? Oh, it's a colony of the Roman Empire. What happens in Philippi naturally spreads to Macedonia, and whatever happens in Macedonia eventually is going to reach Rome. Here's the dream. We're going to transform Europe. I know, I know, he, does, he doesn't say that, but this is the lead into this whole story and the whole journey of Paul. We're going to transform. What if God would use us to transform a continent? See, the closer you get to Rome, the closer they're getting to the center of their whole world. What if God would take an empire that is actually opposed and oppressing Jesus? And what if, what if that whole continent, what if that whole empire was changed? I told you some of this parallels maybe our experience here on the hill. Can I just say this? We live in the largest city of our district. San Jose has the largest population in the Bay Area. San Jose is the third largest city in California. It's the 10th largest in the nation. San Jose is the heart of the Silicon Valley. And if God's given us a mission to display Jesus so that people say yes to him and their lives are transformed, doesn't that feel at least a little bit like Philippi? Don't you take a little bit of pride about being a front runner of, of our nation? What happens here often trickles into the rest, of the, the rest of the nation. Well, I guess that all depends on what's trickling into the rest of our nation. Because sometimes we're a front runner in ways that we aren't proud of. So let me ask you this. As we preach the mission and values of this church, what are your expectations? Are they grand? Are you pessimistic? Do you think revival's possible? Or does San Jose feel like the sinking ship that we're going to save as many as possible, but it is going down? Paul goes into Philippi, and he has his first victory. It's his first conversion. Now, Paul and his team, they actually, instead of, they typically would go into a synagogue, but they go to the river. And they go down by the river, and here's why. Because Jewish tradition would say this. You have to have at least 10 Jewish families in a community to open a synagogue. If you don't have it, then you either go by the river or you go by the sea. You go by the, the largest, closest body of water, and that's where you meet. So Paul, Timothy, Silas, they all go to this river, and here's what happens. Verse 14 in Acts chapter 16. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. How did her heart open up to Jesus? The Lord opened her heart. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't Silas, it wasn't Timothy. Lydia didn't even open her own heart. Who opened her heart? The Lord did. That's such good news for us. Here's why. The results of the mission are not up to you. The faithfulness of how we interact and follow God in this, that's up to us. But the results is when God opens a person's heart to him 
And he does this with Lydia. Now, I want to be really clear about this, okay? I'm just telling you what the text says. Paul has a vision of a man begging them to come to Macedonia, a new territory for the gospel to spread closer to the heart of the Roman Empire. The vision is big, the expectation is big, and apparently the man of Macedonia was a woman. I'm just saying, that's what the story says. But apparently, because if you want to bring down the whole Roman Empire with the gospel, you better start with the woman being a convert, because they're going to get some stuff done. Okay, there might be a little bit more I added to the text there, but it's this woman who's the convert. And it begins with her. And make note of this. The Roman Empire, for many, many years, they would use Christians for sport in the arena to be killed. Yet if you travel to Rome today, crosses litter the landscape because Christ overtook the Roman Empire and brought it to its knees. And the first convert was this woman, Lydia. But it was at this moment of victory, here's what happens. A big conflict erupts. This is the moment where their experience fell short of their expectations. And I want you to hear this. Verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer by the river, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit, an evil spirit, by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. It's weird, isn't it? Why would an evil spirit speak truth? Because she was telling them the truth, right? I have a theory on this. My theory is this, if an evil spirit can't tell you a lie and get you to believe it, they might tell you the truth to help people in that town think that this girl who had an evil spirit was actually part of Paul, Timothy, and Silas's team so that later on she could deceive. If we think that the attack on the church is always just this frontal attack, And there's not something sneaking in the back door to deceive, manipulate, and confuse. We're fooling ourselves. There's this demon inside of her. And Paul, he gets fed up. Here's what it says, verse 18. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around. He said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get out of her. In that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. Okay, God, I knew the mission wasn't going to be easy. Maybe the boat ride with the wind at our back, maybe, maybe that was too easy. I knew there'd probably be conflict along the way. Not everybody was going to embrace us. But I don't know if Paul anticipated the kind of pain that they were about to go into. Look at verse 22. It's a story about when they're suffering for the cause. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Cyrus. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
just makes me wonder, did Paul anticipate this? I mean, we all get missions require sacrifice. Missions are about the blessing we get to be to somebody else. And in turn, when you see another person's life transform, you're going to be way more blessed than anybody. We're anticipating sacrifice. But was he actually anticipating pain? See, for Paul and Silas, there was no defense in this moment because they didn't ask for a trial. They beat them without a trial. Stripped their backs, struck them with rods repeatedly until their backs were bloodied and raw. And they were hauled off to jail. And Luke's description in the book of Acts means that they had the tightest security in the inner cell, fashioned their feet in stocks, another form of torture and discomfort so that they could not move. By the way, I will say this, that this is probably where their story diverts from ours. No matter how much sacrifice we've made, we've never made this kind of sacrifice. Midnight rolls around. And I just wonder what's flowing through Paul's mind. What's going through his head when his experience isn't meeting his great expectation? Just pause with me for a moment when we talk about the vision of our church. Displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. Yes, thank you. By week six, you'll have a rousing response to that, all right? People's lives are transformed. I mean, I have an expectation that there's actually good days ahead. I have an expectation that it's not only possible, but probable. That God will do something amazing. But what happens when displaying the irresistibility of Jesus costs us? Like, what will it require of you? It's going to require something different than just changing seats on a Sunday morning. It may require you to do life differently, to get involved, not just here, but get involved with your neighbors and coworkers in a way that requires some vulnerability. What happens when it requires sacrifice? Let me just give you a parallel scenario. We face the same situation in marriages. When you got married, you had a dream about how amazing it was going to be. Men and women, we dream about different things, right? I mean, ladies, you were dreaming about long walks on the beach with that guy. And he, well, he was dreaming about not long walks on the beach, because we're just different. So what happens in our marriages when our experiences don't match our expectations? Whether it's marriage or whether it's church, we have choices. You can give up, and you can quit. You can actually pick a new dream. You can say, oh, you know what, that dream, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to do this dream over here, whether it be marriage or whether it be church. But do you ever turn to God in the midst of that great sacrifice, the hardship and the pain, and just go, God, I think you're going to change me in this? Paul's response at midnight was to worship. He's leaning into his relationship with God. Here's what it says, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas. 
were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. In the middle of the night, with bloodied backs and aching legs because of the stalks, a voice pierces the dark depression of that cell. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart into the depths of my soul. Yes, Lord. Completely, yes, my soul says yes. Silas don't think he lost his mind. Because Paul's singing. But instead of complaining, Silas joins him. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart into the depths of my soul. Yes, Lord. Completely, yes, my soul says yes. And somewhere down the hall, cell block C erupts with the choir. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart into the depths of my soul. Yes, Lord. Completely, yes, my soul says yes. And in that moment, courage rose. In that moment, the text, Luke actually writes down what happened next because what happened next was this great rescue. God showed up and showed off. Verse 26, suddenly there's this violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken and all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose, free. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He's about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. We're all here. You see, a a Roman jailer, if he actually loses prisoners, they will take his own life. Instead of the the other, his authorities taking his life, he's like, I'm going to kill myself. But what happens next is so amazing. And it tells me this, that God never gave up on the mission because the very next step is this. There was an amazing transformation that happened. Listen, verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their enemy, the one that jailed them, the one that was there watching their beating is like, no, 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 the way that this happened, your God is true and we're on a false road. I'm all in. What do I got to do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. He was filled with what? Joy? Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Don't miss this. You got the first church in Europe right here. The first church in Europe is a merchant woman named Lydia, a girl who used to be possessed by an evil spirit. Because you know, when she got freedom, she jumped in. A jailer and his family, and probably a couple of inmates. That's the first church on European soil that brought down the Roman Empire. See, God can use anybody. 
He can certainly use us in this room. And that's the end of chapter 16, essentially. And it says this, that Paul and his, his associates are escorted out of town. So, they're in Philippi. And by the way, I tell you that whole story to land on this moment right here. They, backs bloodied shirts still, you know, the, the scars. I mean, they don't even have scars at this point. They're still raw, escorted out of town, out of Philippi. Paul, Silas, and Timothy walking. Well, where do we go now? I know there's a town up the way here named Thessalonica. Lord, do we go there next? Because it's in this moment, right? That didn't turn out how I thought it would. Yeah, we had some victories there. There's a small church there. God bless it. God grow it. Use Lydia. Use that that servant girl. God, use that jailer. Grow your church. Grow your kingdom. But it certainly didn't turn out to be the big victory that we thought it would. And now, beaten, bloodied, and tired, there's got to be this moment that says, do we keep going? I mean, God gave us a mission. And our experience didn't match our expectations. So what do you do when you're in the spot, whether it's in your marriage, in your job, in the thing that God has called you to, where your experience doesn't match your expectation, and you're asking, is it worth it to keep going? In the mission of this church, is it worth it to keep going? I know Paul asked that question because of the letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Go back there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes this. You remember this? You know, brothers and sisters, that our vision to you was not without results. Your lives have been transformed. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. Now we know what that means because now we know the story. The miracle and the pain. But then it states this. But with the help of our God... We dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Oh, underline that, highlight that, mark that, because that's the verse that I wanted to land on today because I think this is the message that God is going to ask you a major personal question today. And you got to answer it. If, you're, if you call this church my church, if you're a follower of Jesus, I think this is the question for you. With the help of our God, Paul said, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Listen, we didn't get the whole thing that we thought we were going to get back there. Is it worth it to keep going and daring to tell the story of Jesus in the next town? Knowing that it might be more pain there. And Paul said this, Philippians, excuse me, Thessalonians. When we came to you, we took a chance to tell the gospel one more time. Because Paul would also write in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for that gospel, it is the power of God for all who believe. Telling the story of Jesus is the power of God for all who believe. That when you tell the story of Jesus, there's power in it where God will open up people's hearts to it. He said, we dared to do it. My question for you is this, do you dare to embrace a brand new mission? Maybe it didn't have the impact that you thought it would have. You've been walking with Jesus. I mean, I've been here for 20 years. Some of you have been here longer than me. You've shared the gospel with people, and sometimes it hasn't been received warmly. 
You invited people to church. You've been praying for the same people maybe for the last 15 years, and it doesn't seem that they're getting any softer towards Jesus. And you're just wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Are you going to keep displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed? And our number one value is this. It's crowded heaven. And Paul, in that moment, has got to say, listen, some people got saved back here in Philippi, but I got to believe that because God sent us on a mission that there's somebody in Thessalonica that needs to hear the story of Jesus because they'll say yes to him. I think this is about perseverance. I think this is about guts. I think it's about taking risks for the name of Jesus and daring to tell the gospel. Now imagine this. The church in Thessalonica is reading this letter. They're all gathered around and they read this message from Paul. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. And they look around the room like, yep, yep, you. You, All our lives have been changed because of what Paul did here. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And you know as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Can you imagine that room where they look at each other and they go, gosh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, that you didn't give up in Philippi because I may have never have heard this in my lifetime. What drove Paul is that God gave him a mission through this vision to not just go to Macedonia, but I think it was to take down the Roman Empire and eventually take on the world. Our highest value, I think Paul knew it. It's a crowded heaven and prioritizing those beyond our walls, which requires sacrifice. And for him, it clearly required pain. Our hope is that people will join us in heaven one day. But it's going to take a group of people like you and me who are going to dare to tell the story of Jesus. It's going to take a group committed to the mission, and you got to ask yourself, does that mission live in you? I've got to be real honest with this. This is not a church slogan. It ain't a bumper sticker. It's not a t-shirt that you wear. It is something that has to mark your soul in such a deep way that is like, God, no matter what the sacrifice, I'm in. I'm going to tell the story of Jesus. I'm going to display the irresistibility of Jesus, his love, his compassion. I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to do it even if it means sacrifice. You see, a church mission statement is not, it's worthless if it's not engraved on the hearts of its people. This has got to be personal to us. And I don't expect just from one message that it's going to be personal to you. But I want you to really earnestly pray and read this letter of 1 Thessalonians again and again and again and see if God might not put a burning desire in you to say yes to his mission. What he wants is a group of people that will say, yes, Lord, From the bottom of my heart and to the depths of my soul, yes, Lord. Completely, yes. My soul says yes. Because he'll do the transforming of people in this city if he has a group of people who will say yes to him. Let's bow and let's pray. Whew. Lord, 
Lord, I think we all, every single one of us who's a Christian, wants to see transformation in our city. We've got family members whose eternities hang in the balance on this one. We have friends who aren't yet headed to heaven. And God, even people that we don't know, to see a revival and a transformation in our city, we want it. But the reality is, God, we don't know what kind of sacrifice that'll require. Lord, would you give us courage and endurance? Give us vision for the mission that you're calling us to so that we can stand together as a church and cheer each other on so that when there's pain, that we'll pick each other up. God, would you use us to transform this city in a significant way? God, use us, use us. And we say to you today, yes, Lord. Yes to your will and to your way. Completely yes. God, use us. And if you agree with that, would you say amen?